This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted pride of West London Podcast. And we're, we're sweating a bit in here. We're in the Hydrant Pub in Monument Street, just, just by London Bridge. And we're actually a short walk from Old Billingsgate Market and from the Tower of London. It's a nice little boozer. It's called a, a craft boozer. There's all sorts of craft owls and all sorts of over here. Lovely, lovely, absolutely lovely. But we're all sweating in the house because we seem to have a bit of cup fever. And apparently it's contagious. <laughs> so um, we seem to be doing the sights of London. A few weeks ago, we were visiting the Queen, dropping off Sully Kai Kai back to the palace. But today, we've been visiting characters incarcerated in the Tower of London. And there are a few criminals locked up there today. Some of them should have thrown away the key. In the pub to be today, the craft pub, the old hydrant. It's all changed. With the recent strikes on the underground and Southern Rail, it's been everybody out as we wheel out the old characters and bring in a new set of characters for lots of beer and lots of cheer and hopefully we get something to cheer on Saturday when the Geordies invade London. So with me in the, in the boozer today I have Lord Lucan. Lou Boyd, how's the week been? Uh, good, good. The highlight of my week is uh, being at a brand new heavies gig tonight here. This is what it sounds like. Uh, yeah, it's been all right. I've, I've managed to successfully boycott any Brentford game this year so far. So I'm sure my opinion will go very far. I've got to ask a question. Are you up for the cup? Um, I'm trying to think of something that rhymes with the league. I, I, I've got mid-table-itis or something. I don't know. I, maybe, maybe. We'll see. If we don't get thrashed, I'm up for the cup. And the other day, like I said, we went to go and visit the Queen. We, we, we sent Sully Kai Kai back to the palace. You know, so Sully Kai Kai's back at Palace now. However, who have you been visiting in the Tower of London? Um... I would be visiting anyone responsible for football fixtures, uh, given the ridiculous uh, FA Cup setup. Just what, what are we nine days away from the games now, and no one knows who's playing when. There could be six games in London all on a Saturday at the minute, provisionally. I'm sure the Met Police love that. We have got Carl the Massey Massey. He's been on sabbatical for a few months. He went missing in action. 
So we actually had to send a search party out and dragged him back to drink more beer. Now, Massey, are you up for the cup? Uh, I most, most definitely am, uh, Bill. What I will say is I didn't go missing. I was just on loan, a bit like Jota. I was on loan. I've now returned. The, the, you know, the prodigal return of the sun. I, I'm here and, uh, and raring to go for my second outing. Hotty for it. The Messi. I know you were down the road at the Tower. Who did you visit at the Tower of London today? Uh, during my visit, Bill, I went to see uh, the Brady Bunch. Uh, and by that, I don't mean like the, the cast of a 70s uh, sitcom. Uh, it was Messrs. Brady, Gold and Sullivan after their haggling over the price of Scotty Hogan. They, they came in with a bid of 10 million, got knocked back, and then I think they returned with another bid of 5 million. And they've been going the wrong way since then. So, uh, and, 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 and the tomatoes were out again. I mean, were they, were they begging with you? They said, did you stop the messy? Stop. Well, Karen Brady, she kept trying to sell them back to me um, and trying to get the best deal possible. But uh, any rotten fruit I could find were going through the bars. <laughs> Listen, we've got, a, 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 we got, we got an absolute rookie on the podcast today, Jerry the Cabbie. Jerry the Cabbie, a first-time poddy. Tell you something, Jerry, and I should have asked you this before I put you on the spot. Give us a strange or funny cabbie story in a brief. Uh, well, you are putting me on the spot. I could go through several sexual exploits that have taken place in the back, but depending on the time this podcast goes out, I'm not sure you'd be listening to it. But uh, I don't know. Nothing really happens in the back of my cab. I just head force. I'm miserable. We're all miserable, Bill. We just stay straight forward and get on with it and drive. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you up for the cup? I'm standing tall for the cup, just like the monument next to us in Pudding Lane. I'm very erect for it. <laughs> Excellent. And I've got to ask you a question, I know, because you've actually just done a walk back from the Tower. Who did you visit in the Tower of London? I went to see uh, a load of centre-forwards in there. Mark McCammon was one of them. Callum Willock was because they were crimes against football. And they are at the top of the Tower. Tomatoes out? Cabbage the works, launched them. Excellent, excellent. And uh, we've got someone else on the podcast, the full house today as well. Someone who's actually appeared on quite a few of our podcasts, but on a different guise. Kev, how you doing? I'm all right, man. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring you on. So listen, listen. Are you really a jewel? I mean, I mean, I know you sort of kind of put on a bit of a mask there because that voice. We say Kev the Geordie, and now I've just realised: Are you one of these dodgy characters who have been trying to get a ticket for the game? Because all these Geordies are sort of masquerading as all sorts of characters. They're coming onto our message boards. We had we had a, a Serbian character come on the other day. He goes, "Hello, everybody! I'm coming over from Serbia. I can I have a ticket for the game, please. I really love Brentford. Are you one of them?" Well, that'll be uh, Mitrovic's personal surgeon. Is uh, is busy stitching at the moment? Uh, no, no, I'm proper. Like, I've got a. And any postcode and a season ticket, you don't get more genuine than that. Okay, genuine Geordie here. So listen, you up for the cup? Oh, as, as long as we're in it, I love it. You're, you're sort of halfway there, though, aren't you? Well, we're in the fourth round draw, that's all that matters. Okay, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, and also, I know you've been over at the Tower, so who did you visit over in the Tower? Well, I had a visiting order to go and uh, visit Sam Allardyce, but apparently he's been held at the Palace, not at the Tower. He should <laughs> definitely be locked up, though. Uh, that's true, actually. I think we might have seen him there a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, for me, I actually went over to the Tower and I visited Sean Harvey. Because Sean Harvey's the guy at the, the Football League who did the fixtures, and he put the fixtures together where the Newcastle were basically were pitched to Brentford, and then they changed the fixture from a Saturday to a Monday. So all the Newcastle fans who had bought tickets on the trains had to change their tickets from a Saturday to Monday or bin them. 
And then at seven days' notice, when Newcastle failed to beat Birmingham City, which we'll talk about later. When we held Birmingham City. Oh, yes. That's right, when they held Birmingham City. They flipped the match back from the Monday to the Saturday at seven days' notice. So all these Newcastle fans who booked hotels and trains on Monday now are crying, and the other Newcastle fans have to buy the trains, which are about 130 quid. So, Sean Harvey, I was there throwing tomatoes at you earlier on. So, listen. But anyway, listen, guys, we need to move on because we've got lots to talk about. So, let's crack on. Saturday could have been a banana skin. Martin Allen, the mad dog, returned to Griffin Park with his Eastley side to try and knock us out the cup. It didn't happen. We smashed them up 5-1, playing some beautiful football. And all that without Scott Hogan. So listen, we spoke to the fans after the match in the pub about the bees who seem to be very much up for the cup. Let's hear what they had to say. We're up for the cup. Yeah, really good to see Dean Smith playing a pretty full-strength team out today because it's been a while since we've uh, done that in the cup and we got the result that we deserved. Brentford were far and away too good for Eastleigh. Um, let's not get carried away because Eastleigh are a uh, lower, league, uh, lower league's team. Um, it was good to see Hotter back and getting a bit of a run out. There will be plenty of opportunity to see him again, hopefully, in the coming months. I doubt whether he'll start against Newcastle. But, hey, you know, one can't fault this performance well done on Brentford for being in the fourth round of the cup it's a very good result uh, five, five goals in the first half Tom Field scored a couple of really lovely goals it was basically a walkover second half was more about just playing really really lovely football uh, and we were passing the ball around we were poking prodding and it was just really really lovely stuff to watch it was all about getting through today, wasn't it? At half-time, it was game over, and the fact that it was still 5-1 at the end, absolutely fine. You just had to get through. There's always a couple of shocks. Glad it wasn't us. But played some lovely football. I thought Sawyer's had a great game. That fifth goal was one of the goals of the season. Really intelligent layoff by Vivo. Brilliant finish by Sawyer's. Yeah, looked very good. Well, there were some troubles at corners. I mean, the first, first goal, Bentley said he was fouled. I couldn't see. But after that, Bentley's been pulled at every corner. That was their best chance, really. The second half, Eastley didn't do that much. I think mean, once we got to 4-1, it was game over. 3-1, you worry a bit. Four, three goal margin again, that's fine. Marcus Gale in the house was in the gentry with a star view. First half performance was, was needed. Um, some really good movement for all the goals. There weren't no ugly goals. The, the only worrying time was the set piece goal that they conceded. Um, and Brentford looked vulnerable every time Eastley had a, a set play. As, as we know with Martin Allen, he's, he's a man that he's meticulous with his set plays and recorded it on, on commentary about he's going to cause a lot of problems with these because he doesn't leave any stone unturned and every time they had a corner they was looking a bit worrying for Brentford so but please that it was only one goal they conceded but the positive is that you know scored five yeah they played very well second half easily I thought you know if they had started the first half as they started the second half then who knows what would have happened but you know we had the breakthrough within a couple of minutes with the penalty good run by Vibe picked out I think was it Sawyers again um Played a cute little ball around the corner, and the penalty was obvious, and that set the tone. And then the second goal, I think it was Tom Field, timed his run, a ball from the outside of Sawyer's right foot, showing that sort of confidence and that sort of that sort of cockiness he's got in his game as well. People were expecting to see more goals second half, um, but you know, just just the, the way we spread the ball around, the way we play, the way the win backs, um, you know, you know, they, they, we ripped them apart, and just the, some of the, the finishing. I, I think you know Sawyer's goal. 
um, the ball would have still been kept travelling now if the net hadn't got in the way. And um, Vibe's finish with the outside of his foot was just absolutely class. We were we were head and shoulders above above that team, and you know um, it allowed it allowed the players to go out and express themselves. And they, you know, I, I wish we just saw a little bit more of it second half, Bill. Well, all of a sudden we're a team on form, Bill. We've over the last seven games, we've won two, drawn two. I, won, I, I can't remember now. We're, we're, we're winning and drawing more than we're losing. We haven't lost many games. So um, we're, uh, we're a team slightly on form. And um, I, he- I hesitate to say that. So we'll bang up for the game next Saturday. Newcastle's a massive club. Full respect for them. But it's a good, it's a good time to play them. And, um, Let's yeah, see how it goes. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. So Saturday, the FA Cup, Brentford 5, Eastley 1. It feels wonderful to say that, actually, because we've had such a terrible record in FA Cups recently. And as you can hear from the people in the pub afterwards, they're so delighted to actually be in the hat for the FA Cup fourth round, which we'll talk about in a minute. Listen, we've had a, you know, the last couple of months we've been pretty stinky, to be quite honest with you. We've talked about this a lot. The style of football has been poor. You know, our attitude, I think, has been poor. You know, maybe they've been trying, but it hasn't just quite worked out, but it's been poor. But fair play, credit to Dean Smith. He's come up for a little bit of stick recently, him and the team. But we actually proved we can play decent football. OK, it was easily, but at the end of the day, we've played enough teams out there, enough lower league teams, your Wrexhams and, you know, your Barrows. But we've gone there and it's been difficult to play decent football against them and get a result. But we actually went out there, we played our game, we played decent football and we gave the fans a bit of a show. Or they gave the fans a bit of a show and we got a result. I mean, I just want to keep it on the up here again. Guys, I mean, what were the plus points from Saturday's Cup match? Cole? I've got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the 90 minutes. And considering it was Eastley, possibly wasn't expecting it, but I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought Josh McEachrey showed the range of passing he's got was just unbelievable. You know, to see someone like Tom Field come through the academy or B-team and score two pretty decent goals and just look just looked like he was thoroughly enjoying himself and I thought that, that came across across the whole pitch I thought we looked really really good really positive performance and went home pretty happy which I didn't necessarily expect I thought even if we did beat him it might be a bit drab we'd struggle but we didn't we blew him away and um, all credit all credit to the players I think the Luke Hen. oh I don't know I'll, I'll play devil's advocate 60 or 70 places in the league between us we didn't keep a clean sheet you know, I think that was the biggest disparity of the disparagement of the whole FA Cup setup was us playing them. Martin Allen, you know, he, he went quietly. But the second half, there was, if we got ten, maybe if we'd got eight, maybe we made a statement. I thought it was more interesting seeing who wasn't invited to the to the massacre. You know, people like Kurtzbaumer. You know, is that the end of his career now? The cabbie. Uh, I thought we just the whole day was a. A great day, really, from uh, the game itself. As, as Carl said, I thought McEachern and Sawyers, I thought, were superb uh, pass. McEachern, the 20 minutes, was just as good as he, I think I've seen him play. Just as soon as he played that ball through to Tom Field for Field's goal, I thought just played a, a masterclass in passing. But then at the end of it, I thought at the end of the game, we had three products from our own youth academy in the team. And I thought that's a real positive sign for us. So we had Tom Field had started. At half-time, on come Josh Clark and then Chris Meppham come on for the last uh, 10 minutes or so. And I think that's a real standard for us because, uh, I don't know, when the last time we ever had three youth products in the same team, must be years ago. So I think 
that's a big bonus for me. I mean, interesting, you talk about the academy, and we've got to talk about Tom Field here because the geezer's come on. He's been given a full game. He's given quite a few, you know, about three or four, five, six full games now, but he actually scored two goals in it. But it wasn't actually rubbish goals. He scored some wicked goals, and we actually even played attacking, but we actually played a breakaway football, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we played on the counter probably for the first time in a very long time, as I saw, and we played it well, the football that we played. And Tom Fields, okay, it was Eastley again, but he's looking like a real prospect, doesn't he, Luke? He is, yes, he's grown into it. A great competition for Rico Henry. I'll say again, an Eastley team, a mid-table conference team with a new manager missing 10 players on the day. So it's a bit like when we when we thrashed Staines. Was it Staines at home uh, with Marcus Scale when he was a manager a few years ago? I, I don't know how much we can read into that. I don't, I'm not sure we'll play another team the standard of Eastley for a, for a while. Yeah, we prob- Do we play better competition in pre-season friendlies? Um, it's great. It's great for people like Field to get games under the belt, and for us to try and work out what formation and what players we want. Because I don't know. I'd, I'd say Dean Smith still doesn't know his strongest eleven. He doesn't know his strongest formation. Yeah, I would still say you can only beat what is put in front of you, and it is. You know, once you go five nil up or five one up in a game, it, it becomes very difficult. I think to to continue pressing because you. You know, in the second half, I think what we saw was was just almost toying with them. We kept the ball, we moved it around, we tried different things, and I, ju- I just think we got everything out of that game that we needed to, bar the clean sheet. And from, we're being pretty stingy. Maybe it was a foul on Dan Bentley, but yeah, we could have defended it better. For me, we got everything out of that game that we wanted. We, you know, Martin Allen had a great, great reception. We enjoyed seeing him back. You know, Potter came back to. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a reception for a player returning like that before. So. You know, it's great. Yeah, and in terms of uh, formation and, and team selection, I think for me, the, the biggest plus for me as well was Romain Sawyer's playing high up the pitch. I think that's where he's best suited. I think far too much this season we've seen him dropping deep where he becomes ineffective and other teams look at him going, well, we'll try and do something, and he, and he fails to do it. I think when he's high up the pitch, you can see how effective he is on the ball. And it's, as, as Carl said, you play what's in front of you, but... I think we've, we saw us in that high position playing behind, whether it's Hogan or V-Bay. I think we're a different proposition. And I kind of going into the Newcastle game, I think, again, I think if, if, if he sticks with that format and he sticks with the positivity and how we went out and tried to go and get the game and grab the game, I think we've got a real good chance of winning. And we're going to come on to the Newcastle game in a bit because obviously, you know, we've got Kevin here and we're going to chat to Kevin a little bit. But that's very important. But it's like, Interesting for me, a positive thing was obviously Vibay. Vibay looked very good as well, but he obviously looked very good playing with Sawyers up front. They're playing in a different role there, and they look very, very good up front, very, very dangerous. And Vibay, it looked like he got his confidence back. And I know that Lou, and I hear exactly what you're saying, but you can also flag off the fact that, you know, it was only Eastley, but sometimes you need to play these sides, who are lower league sides, to actually get your confidence back. And somebody like Vibay has got his confidence back, and he... And, it, it, him and Sawyers. Sawyers was brilliant on Saturday. 100% is what you said. And the way him and Vibe played, um, we're going to discuss later whether or not Hogan's going to play against Newcastle. You know, maybe he might not do. So Vibe and Sawyers are going to be playing again. So that game is going to be a template. So uh, fingers crossed, they'll carry on doing what they did before. Yeah, we're, we're a confidence team. I think we're a confidence manager. And it's nice that we've got a run of seven games now with another another win. And it, yeah, it, it shows one of one of the plus points, uh, apart from Scott Hogan not being cup tied. Not that that matters to West Ham anymore. Uh, but any other uh, prospective buyer out there, 
um, yeah, it, it showed we took it seriously for the first time in about two or three years. And um, we played about an 80% strong team. So yeah, I would have expected 5-1 minimum. And we can't go away from talking around this match without talking about two people in particular. The first person we're talking about is Martin Allen. Um, Martin Allen, manager of Brentford 10 odd years ago. A lot of people don't talk about him. Some people talk about him coming back to manage Brentford. Love Martin, I think he's great, but I think that we have moved on managerially from kind of where he is. I think he's great at motivating the team. You know, and this is not a disrespect to him because I think he's great, as you heard in the podcast last week, which was one of the most popular podcasts that we've had for ages. We had like nearly 2,000, over 2,000 people listen to it in under 24 hours last week, which goes to show you what a popular person Martin Allen is. Great podcast if you listen to that. So he's come back to Brentford, and I think he's, you know, obviously he's caught, captured the hearts of the Brentford fans. He loved him. He was practically crying the reception that he got in that game. Now, it shows you if somebody comes into Brentford and probably acts in a certain way, does certain things, there's certain people, you know, cannot see acting a certain way, everyone wants him back. Even Hutter, to a certain extent, he's done that as well. Martin Allen as well. He just goes to show you how he's touched the hearts of Brentford fans, didn't it, Gary? Yeah, exactly. It kind of just gives everyone a feel-good factor, doesn't it? It brings out, gives everyone a bonus, brightens everything up. I think new players like Hutter coming back. As fans, we all want to see him, so it gives us all a lift. So we're more excited to come and see the games if we can get Canos in, whether that happens or not. Again, a massive bonus, plus point going into February and the rest of the season. So, yeah, just hopefully. So you got that. And, and then also I know that you mentioned earlier as well, I mean, the hotter reception was, was, again, was unbelievable. Martin Allen, when he came in, that reception when the fans cheered him, and they were singing his name, was unbelievable. But also hotter when he came on. I mean, the fact is that hotter went back to Spain and he went there and he thought, see you later, probably not going to come back. But he's come back to Brentford. They probably thought they quite liked me, but apparently even Dean Smith went when he came on. He goes, I think the fans like you quite a lot, don't they? I mean, it was unbelievable the reception we got, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't think I can, it's certainly in my, you know, approaching 25, 26 years supporting Brentford, can ever remember a player getting a reception, you know, quite like that after you know, having left the club and, and coming back again. He, um, I, I, was, I was a bit worried about how we would deal with it because I think, He's a good player, Jota, no doubt about it. He's a, he's a very good player, but it's a lot of pressure to put on one man's shoulders. He's now, you know, he's, he's got to be thinking, the, fa- the fans are going to think, I'm going to turn tricks here and I'm going to absolutely rip it up. And we don't know if it's going to be the case yet, we've got to see. But in terms of reception, just amazing to see. And, and you know, as for Martin Allen, it was brilliant. So I think he encompasses everything we love about football. He had the, before the game, you know, walking over, took the adulation of fans really well, absolutely loved it. During the 90 minutes, I think he would have killed a Brentford player if it meant he could have got the win. You know, he was he was absolutely flying through it. Um, and then after the game, you know, everyone you know was back cheering him again, and it, and it was it was great, absolutely brilliant to see. Okay, positive points for the game. I mean, I'm just going to ask you: Were there any negative points that you took from that game at all, Jerry? No, I, I, I don't think I took any at all. To be honest, I just thought the whole round, the whole experience from Allen's reception, Hotter's reception, the way we played seeing our passing players move the ball about we went after the game we won the game I think the whole day was just so you're happy man absolutely Luke yeah, despite my boohooing in the grand scheme of things I still think it's a very good thing to win 5-1 at home score some goals keep keep this fairly good run since December going the Messi negative points from that game I think the only negative for me was uh, Kirschbaumer and Hoffman not getting playing time um, I would have liked to have seen maybe you know Kirschbaumer make an appearance building on his, uh, his cameo at Birmingham and same with Philip Hoffman I think he may be expecting to get a bit of match time there probably speaks volumes 
um, conspicuous by their absence, I'd say. And, and for me, I mean, the negative, it's not a negative as such, because obviously it's a positive that we've obviously got a game at the end of the month, but the Wednesday game we were going to play, the Sheffield Wednesday game, which is going to be on the 28th of January, it's now been moved to the 21st of February now. 7.45 kickoff is a Tuesday night. Unfortunately, Sheffield Wednesday will probably charge us the same £36 they were going to charge us at the end of the month, which is well out of order. And we put a little tweet out about that earlier. And as per typical, Wednesday fans have come back being very defensive. So don't turn up then where I thought it should be fans sticking together against high prices. But that's a bit, a bit of a negative for me. But anyway, let's move on. As per talking about changes, Newcastle, the game was on a Saturday. It changed to a Monday. It's changed back to a Saturday as a result of Newcastle drawing against Birmingham in the FA Cup. And of course, Kev. We've got Kev here, Newcastle fan. Your thoughts on the game on Saturday, Kev? The, hi the highlight of Saturday's football for me, and it's a, it's a little bit niche for you guys only, but it's probably on the iPlayer or something. You can get the post-match summary of the game on Radio Newcastle. Radio Newcastle covered all Newcastle's games and all of Sunderland's games. And they, they split their, their wavelengths, so one's on FM and one's on digital. But they bring them back together at the end you have an on-air spat between the two summarisers. The Radio Castle, Newcastle United match summarised, a guy called John Anderson, you might remember, full-back, played for the Republic of Ireland way back in the 80s. And on the Sunderland side is Gary Bennett, who Sunderland captain for a lot of years, big centre-half. And they came, almost came to blows on air, because John Anderson's describing the match at, uh, at St Andrews, and he said, that was... I said, I'm really struggling to think how I'm going to host a phone in here because there was nothing to say about that match. It was the worst game I've ever seen. To <laughs> which Gary Bennett replies, you should have been here, mate. This was even worse. This was terrible. We, at least you had two goals. We had no incidents whatsoever. And he got, got an escalation of the argument between the two. No, no, this was worse. This was worse, what we've been in front, put in front of us. I didn't have any expectations of the game on Saturday, to be honest with you. We've not won one of our last, any of the last 13 away FA Cup games. And it's interesting, because you... I mean, I do think it's quite funny how people sort of put it on the FA Cup. You've not won the last 13 FA Cup matches, but at the end of the day, you've got to take it season by season, game by game. Newcastle are on fairly decent form, I mean, or maybe not as good form as they were on a month ago, but still, you know, they've got good players in the side. But I was looking at the stats there. Birmingham had 57% of possession. They had 10 shots to your five. You know, Newcastle had, I think, two shots on target on goal, and you scored one of them. Now, to me, it didn't sound like you guys had a particularly great game at all. Not absolutely dreadful. That possession, by the way, for both teams, back along the back lane, maybe probe one forward into midfield, then gets back to the defence again. You can see, you can disguise a lot more possession figures, or even successfully completed pass figures, because it was just tedious. Absolutely genius. And listen, I mean, we're going to, who's going to talk about this later? We've got to bring it in now. I mean, it, it's come to our notice, and we're quite happy about this, that the fact is that your your league form, or your, your match form, has, has dipped somewhat since John Joe Shelby has disappeared from the side. After he made an utterance to a, another player, which was uh, rather distasteful, as we would say, he has been removed for five games, um, but he was a man that absolutely ran our game up at Newcastle, he absolutely did, and we're just thinking, oh my God, you know, we didn't lock him down, they didn't do, but you've removed him from the side, you've won one game, 
you've drawn a couple of games and you've lost a couple of games, I think it is, or you know, something like that. But it's not been particularly great form. So that's, you know, coming up the game at the weekend, which we're going to talk about in a minute, that's quite good news for us, not great for you. Yeah, I mean, I'll sit me down. I think John Joe Shelby is probably... And I've looked forward to be at the debate that will ensue from this rash remark or whatever. I think he's probably the best player in the division. Uh, but I'm, personally, I'm furious with him because we're still paying his wages. We've built a team around him, and because he can't keep his mouth shut, he's ended up. I mean, leave to one side what he said. He denies it. He still denies it. I didn't hear it, so I'm not in a position to judge. But leave aside what he said. Why is he mouthing off the top? Why can't he just keep his gob shut and get on with a game? And because of he can't keep his gob shut, we've ended up without his services for five games while we continue paying his inflated wages, and you, we definitely miss him. Now, there's criticism of Shelby there, obviously, but I think there's also criticism of the whole setup. Why you don't want a team that's so dependent on one player? Now, I was hoping that other people in midfield in Newcastle would step up the plate a bit. That you'd see people like Hayden or others take on the mantle and say, right, well, I'll make the play from now on. And they haven't really done that. And then you've got players who come in and make the numbers up, people like Jack Colback, who's been, I mean, he's no John Joe Shelby at the best of times, but he's been uninspiring. And it's a disappointment for me that nobody's really stepped up to do that. But we've got a squad that's big enough and should be rich enough still to make a difference. I think, I think the other thing that's changed is what we're getting now. And it'll be interesting to see what happens down here on Saturday is that we're getting teams like we've lost twice to Blackburn, right? 1 0 in both games, and they've done the same thing in both games. They've absolutely parked the bus, they've not tried to create anything. The game where you look at your interesting stats, that game we lost on uh, in um, away from Blackburn, the New Year game, we had 25 attempts to their one, and they beat us 1 0. And that just said everything, we, we absolutely slaughtered them and lost 1-0. Now that, it says a lot to me, it says about how the other teams are playing against us. They've sussed us to a certain extent, but they know they're not ambitious against us particularly, but also we're failing to break them down. Now we made one callback gave away a free kick that they scored from, and that's how they end up with three points. But we should have been, we should have hammered them. And we had the ball in the net three times, you know, disallowed for various different reasons. But we, we really should be putting teams like that to the sword. So interesting when you're saying that. And again, all these things we're going to try and come on to later, but as you've had more beers inside here, there's all sorts of craft beers flowing around and sorts of ales and blue pale ales and even an island, an island records. Island records, which is in Chiswick as well. As well, They've got an island records ale in there, which I've had as well, which is absolutely wicked and like, you know, typical pride and stuff like that. But we've all drink the ale, so this has all started to merge into one. Now, you guys, does that mean to me that you're still not happy you still think that you need to add to your side, Kev? Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not complacent about it, and I think we will do business in the transfer window. I must say, I, I had hoped that we'd be in a position where, and I still think we will go up, I still think we'll go through the, one of the automatic promotion plays, I'm not pessimistic, but I'd, I thought that what Rafa had done is he'd built a side and a squad to get us promoted. And he knew that we'd need a lot of rebuilding of that straight away to survive in the Premier League. I actually think we can't take that for granted now. We're probably going to have to even strengthen in certain positions to do it. And you see, you see how frail it is. We've got Dwight Gale's been fantastic. He's been top scorer in the division, and all that. So he's scoring goals for fun, all that sort of thing. I understand entirely why they arrest him for a cup game. 
and you play Mitrovic, but he's carried off after six minutes, and after that, where's your cutting edge? You know, and that's that's the problem. I think it's. I don't have a problem with changing your team for a cup game, particularly because it's all about squads. But I do think there's also a strong case for saying if you know your best team and they're winning, keep playing them. And, and again, we say exactly the same thing because that's a problem that we've had years on years. And uh, you know, in the cups, we kept changing the team for the cup, and it's been absolutely pathetic. But this year, for once, okay, we changed the team slightly because we had to. Because Hogan came out, other players came in, but it was actually a, a strong team that we fielded against Eastleigh. But also the other thing, and again, interesting what you guys said earlier. You know, I remember us playing all the shot, and I mean, it, it was like pain. I thought. I've got to go to Brentford today because I'm going to support them. It's the third round of the FA Cup, whatever it was. Turn up for the Cup, and it was dull. You turn up for these matches, and it is dull. Even the Walsall game was dull. We played terrible football, it's dull. But Saturday, we turned up against Eastleigh, and I thought, oh, it's going to be another dull game, but we just have to do the job. But it's actually entertaining, and I think that's really good because, again, you can only do what you've got in front of you, but we played some great football. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, uh, Kev, we can empathise. We've, we've had a player this season banned for five games for what he said. Uh, not quite the linchpin that Dwight Gale is. So, so who is that? I mean, it was uh, Alan McCormack. Alan McCormack, who is sort of residing on the on the bench. Is he in the final year of his final six months of his contracts? Yeah. So I imagine he won't be here much longer. Um, again, I didn't hear what was said, but the FA did. But what was what, what was accused? I mean, you're not going to say it, that. It, 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 it's sexist, sexism. So so finally, um, it's as bad to be as abusive towards a woman as it is to be towards a gay person, towards a person who is from an ethnic minority, which I think we probably all agree with. Well, as, as, as Kev knows, again, it's this, it's this, this, this area in the FA which is, which is, is it aggressive or um, it's, it's a particular area which carries an automatic five-man ban, five-match ban. Again, what was it? Is it? It's, it's, ag- it's ag- aggravated um, abuse, and that means basically you're picking on one of those characteristics, one of those protected characteristics, as a focus for abuse. And then, I mean, I. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to defend... I'm adding a little legal caveat in that he denies he said it. The fact that the club haven't appealed it, and as part of the club's statement, to their credit, I think Newcastle's statement, when they announced they weren't appealing it, they made clear that they oppose any form of discriminatory abuse and discrimination in football, quite right too. He, he denies he said it. My only point is, he shouldn't be saying anything at all. Keep your gob shut and get on with the game. It's not much. You know, not much this was something it took place after the event about an incident that he wasn't even involved in. Why can't he just keep his mouth shut and get on with it? We're paying these guys wages for God's sake, and we're, we're deprived of his services and still paying his wages. Or like he's been fined hundred grand. A week, a week's well, wages. Yeah. Didn't, didn't, <laughs> we, didn't we, we find McCormack? Was it 100 quid? But, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So we listen, but on, on the on the plus, and, and I get your arguments. And at the end of the day, is on on the flip side of that, as we said, you know, to me, and we had this before on the podcast a few weeks ago, clamping down on discrimination in other areas, disability, homophobia. Um, sexism all of that to me I think that's wicked because it hasn't gone on for years and it needs to be done and I think that if you actually do that now and you teach some people a lesson people actually have second thoughts whether or not they should do it or not because you should be stepped out of the game ages ago and I know a lot of people say it's a man's game and all this kind of stuff it's absolutely nonsense because we've moved on we're in the 21st century now I don't want to preach to you but this is just where we're at now and football's got to move with the times absolutely agree and I absolutely agree and I don't want any exemptions for anybody who's done my anger is not with the FA for their punishment code or anything like that. My anger is at John Joe Shelby. If he's said something racist, then I'm doubly angry with him. 
but even if he didn't, I'm still furious that he can't keep his bloody gobshut and get on with it again. I think the same for us. I mean, Alan McCormack, he uh, doesn't quite have the same impact, I think, on games that John Joe Shelby does. Um, unfortunately, I think the, uh, the Just character... Just wait. Wait till Saturday or Monday or whatever it is. Wait till Sunday morning. He'll I think the will have more impact on Saturday's game than John Joe Shelby will, that's for sure. Yeah, I think the similarities end when you, you've got... He's been banned for five matches for gobbing off and he's, uh, he's lacking in the hair department. Unfortunately, I think the similarities between him and Shelby probably end there. But I, I've got to say... It, it annoyed me the McCormack thing as well because, you know, all right, he's not he's not a first name on the team sheet, but but we're missing him now. Five games at a time where Yanaris is carrying an injury, he could come in, have an impact on the game. We we need a player that grabs a game by the scruff of the neck, particularly when the t- when the team is sort of a little bit down on their luck and, and confidence is low, and he goes and shouts his mouth off. We all know that McCormack gets booked almost every game, um, and it, it, it's just disappointing. And if he again said what he what he's alleged to have said then no defence whatsoever yeah I was just going to say with, with the McCormack I, th- I think Brentford played some sort of game there because they've accepted the ban because he was out injured he's only come he's, once his ban finished he was still missing for a game or two with an injury so I think they were kind of like well let's just get rid of it and be done with it and everything else but the uh, the Shelby issue as well yeah I think there were three Wolves players wasn't there that witnessed it was, it was about three or four times that he actually abused this Played it, he abused. I think he called him an Arab, whatever, and the guy's from France, so not quite sure where he was going with it, but yeah, you've got to get rid of it in the game. I mean, well, so we could probably be accused as well of being a one man team. If they've got Shelby, then we've been reliant on Hogan this season. I'd like to ask Kev, what what do you think of Brentford? What is what what is an, a, an upward looking Newcastle fans' view of Brentford this year? Are we just also Rans? Are we four or six easy points? Are, are, we, are we the Rotherham of London? Uh, first of all, there's no such thing as six easy points anyway. Uh, although Blackburn might disagree because they took six off us in the space of three or four weeks. Um, I must admit, when you came up Newcastle, I wasn't confident of beating you before the game. We had this conversation before the match and again after the match. And we basically we rolled you over up, up, up the road. Um, We've stuttered a bit, but everybody has a bit of a run like that. Um, I'd still be fairly optimistic, personally, going into, going into the weekend, because bottom line is the league tables don't lie. You're 14th in the league, and if, if you're 14th in the league, it's because you're not challenged at the top. You're nearer the bottom than you are at the top. And I think, without wanting to be disrespectful, people I'm hoping will drink cheerfully with me over the course of the whole weekend. <laughs> um, you're a mid-table team, and I you know, league tables don't lie in that sense. You know, individual results can and all that. So I don't want to get carried away. I don't think we'll necessarily have it as easy down here as we have at St James's. But it was very one-sided the match up at Orient. It, it was, and the match was so one-sided. And uh, but going back to the weekend, which is the FA Cup. Listen, I know you sound a little bit down about the Shelby, the game that you had, which was terrible. You know, our game, which was fantastic. We're both in the hat. The FA Cup draw, I mean, the draw was on Sunday. For us, the Magic 27 came out immediately after Chelsea. I'm going to ask you guys, what was your immediate reaction when you saw that? Um, I've got, I, I was overjoyed. I think, it's, uh, I think it's a great cup tie. Chelsea-Brentford, you know, there's going to be you know, 6,000-plus Bees fans. Uh, I know we played them a few years ago, but it, it doesn't take away from the fact that they are top of the Premier League, world-class talent, um, 
and Josh McEachern's going to bang in the winner in the 90th minute. Well, I, I dusted off my half-and-half half scarf and uh, made some more room for some plastic flags. Um, uh, yeah, I just, uh, also looked at my bank account, uh, heading into uh, sort of post-Christmas apocalypse, seeing how much they'll charge us. We don't know when the game will be. I'd love to get um, was it poor old Jake Reeves back on loan and get him to smash Luis. Uh, you know, just go in and get, in, get an early red card. Um, I, I don't... I, I've, uh, it's good for us the payday but I, I don't know Conti seems to be taking a lot of games seriously and even even his second stringer playing for him interestingly enough John Terry's banned for it and Harley Dean's now on his ninth yellow card of the season so he's got to play very nicely leading up to that game if he wants to make an appearance at Stamford Bridge yeah I was pleased with it as well I think just before the draw I was just thinking because you've only got that three week window of the draw and then booking trains and whatnot. I just wanted something that wasn't too far. So, big club. Chelsea came out pleased with that. As Carl said, we'll, we'll bring a few there. But you just hope that the, the fans that possibly don't go to the away games as many as you know actually enjoy it and get up and make a bit of noise rather than sitting in their seats and doing the uh, the flag waving. And uh... so I'm going to put a bit of a downer on it. I was actually when they came out and my, my wife turned around to me. She goes, "You got Chelsea?" And I was actually a bit gutted. And, and the reason why I was a bit gutted is that, A, because we played them a few years ago, I wanted someone that we hadn't played for a while. Like, you know, it shows you how it's, times have moved on now with Brentford. Like, you, you get greedy, like, you know, you get Chelsea and you're gutted that you played Chelsea. Like, we played them a few years ago. Um, uh, to be honest with you, Chelsea isn't the greatest away day. You can't have a drink in and around Chelsea. All the pubs are home fans only. The bouncers are pretty moody. You just can't drink anywhere near around there. So what you have to end up doing is drinking away from Chelsea, coming in, and they're having a away day. The inside of the ground is all right, but you're split between the bottom tier and the top tier. So like your fans are split up as well and everything like that. I was in the bottom tier last time, which I didn't think was that great. Apparently the top tier was a lot better because it goes back a lot further. So I'm not putting a downer on it because obviously I'm happy. And if we go there and we get a bit of a result or play against them, it'll be cool. But I would have preferred to have got someone else. But saying that, there's rumours already that there are already boats on. I've spoken to Jim Walsh and Jim Walsh is already putting a boat on, it looks like. So there'll be a boat or two or three or four going down the river. So we'll have a little bit of a laugh. But for me, I would have preferred quite a few other teams. I like going out of town, especially for FA Cup, on a, on a train having a good old away day and have a bit of a laugh. Taking a little trip two miles down the road to Chelsea where they're not even going to let you in locally and have a bit of a laugh. Mm, I'm not sure, but let's bring it on anyway. Well, we don't even know what day the game's on yet, do we? We've, are we playing Villa the following Tuesday and Chelsea have got that, that, that administrative game against Liverpool on the Tuesday. So I, I'm sure if they've got any ears over, over at the FA, they'll be asking for it early as possible. So we might be... We might be having a brunch, a brunch game on Saturday, or we might be having a Friday night game. Um, and if the BBC and BT continue to select the Premiership-only games for the FA Cup like they have done, then we, you know, we could be moved anywhere. We could be, you know, I'd, in a rare occasion that I feel sorry for Fulham. You know, Fulham kicking off at 11:30 in Cardiff on Sunday. I mean, they are the most middle-class fans in the world, so they do like they do do brunch well. But yeah, so it, we we could be all over the shop. Uh, I, I don't think we'll play Sunday, but we'll be we'll be Friday or, or early. Well, we're, I mean, again, we're looking at it. Fulham are playing on Fulham are drawn to. I think it's Hull on the Saturday, and we're drawn to Chelsea on the Saturday. One of them is going to move. And the chances are that you know if we move, we'll either be on the Friday or the Saturday. We're not going to move to the Sunday or or the, or the Monday. So we're Friday or a Saturday game. I was just going to say, but this now I think is the. I was pointing out to me the other night. I don't know if this is true fact. But we'd have played QPR, Fulham and Chelsea in the same season for the first time in our history. So 
if we win against Chelsea and we beat them, then surely that makes us champions of West London. We'll come on to that a little bit later. Uh, uh, the joy of the cup as well, I mean, obviously, um, and we're going to talk about an article with the magic, because Ian Westbrook wrote an article, the magic of the cup is dead. I just want to know, I mean, is this true? I mean, the fact is that beforehand, you know, that he's basically saying this son was no interest. He was more interested in Newcastle coming down on Saturday than who we're going to get on the FA Cup. You know, if we drew, you know, Accrington Stanley, I mean, we couldn't have drawn them, like, you know, or, you know, Walsall again, we probably couldn't have drawn them. You know, his son wasn't interested, whereas back in the day, we would be, you know, delighted being in the third round, the fourth round, whoever it may be, because the FA Cup was special. Has the the vibe of the FA Cup gone? Kev? I mean, it's, not, it, it's definitely not what it was, what we all, what, what all cast what made it. Personally, I've still got a lot of time for the FA Cup because it's one thing we might win. You've only got to win half a dozen games and you've got a trophy. We're not going to win a league. Well, we might win the league this year, but it's not, we're not going to win the Premier League. You've got a chance of it and it's a, it's a cracking experience when you do get all the way to the final. On the other hand, if you get knocked out in the third round and you've got a couple of free Saturdays, which, sorry, all right, it doesn't apply this season, Unless uh, you know in the championship you don't automatically get a, uh, a free Saturday, I used to always sit there and say, uh, uh, either win it or get knocked out early on. There's nothing worse than going through the fifth, sixth round and getting no, knocked no, out. Then, funnily enough, that's also Brentford's motto: we yeah. just never won it. Because so. it, it's an expensive business going all the way there and then having nothing to show for it at the end. So either get on in the third round or win it. But we've had some good, good, good finals. I've really enjoyed the ones on it. But we're going so far back that we're um, you know, Wembley fans, even in the Millennium Stadium semi-final. That's what they put there. The grit is. So, so I mean, it's interesting because Ian wrote this, and if you want to check the article, besotted.co.uk is an article by Ian Westbrook. He's talking about the magic of the FA Cup, but he wrote it ironically before the draw was made. So all of a sudden, the draw's made, and we've come got Chelsea, and we're all delighted. All our fans are hey, brilliant, and everyone's working out how they can get tickets. You got Oxford. So how was that for you? Well. I mentioned before, we haven't won an away game in, in the FA Cup the last 13. The last time we won away in the FA Cup was in 2006, where we crushed Cheltenham 2-0. And when you meet them, I mean, all right, we've lost some big games. We lost in the sixth round against Chelsea the year after that 1-0. That's like going out with dignity. But we also lost in the third round against Stevenage away. There's nothing you can take for granted about it. Having said that, if you can make progress all of a sudden, all of a sudden you get to the fifth or sixth round, you're a couple of games away from the cup final and a couple of games away from Wembley, then it starts to get really tasty again. So I've not been to Oxford's new stadium. The last time I was in Oxford, it was at the old ground. The Manor Ground. The Manor Ground, yeah. On Boxing Day, we lost 4-2. Uh, I'm quite a lot. It's another, another tick on my list of the grounds I've been to. So you can always find something positive about any trip away, can't you? Lou, uh, Lou, does the Chelsea game change things about the magic of the cup? Do you know what I thought? It was a really good article from Ian. And, and I think that, that a few people have raised this. When, when the TV coverage is all about standard premiership games that you see a couple of times anyway. I mean, we all in, I, 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 I enjoyed watching West Ham fall on their arse again you know, in, in, in the stadium I paid for. 
but yeah, we were, it's weird how they bang on about the Magic of the Cup and then they ignore things like Sutton Wimbledon, a local derby in a tiny ground where you can hear people swearing at the players. What a great, you know, this, this, the hipsters team, the romantic story of Wimbledon rising like a phoenix and they ignore it. We're, we're, we're not a good, we're, we're, we are probably a terrible TV draw. We've got a tiny follow, following TV-wise. We are, any team above us expects to batter us um, any team below us would probably think, oh, we got one of the lesser London clubs. So we're just in a bind now. So we ju- we just crack on. I'd love us to do like a. We're not going to do it this year. We, I, I, I think we'll go, we'll go down fighting against Chelsea. But you know, the year Millwall got to the final against uh, Man United, I think they played Telford after Telford had knocked us out, and they they, they had a great run. They didn't play anyone in top flight till the final. Kind of like Reading until they were at the semi final a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Exactly, exactly. And it's you know, I don't know if it's good for us to have Chelsea bang at the end of the transfer window. Maybe if a couple of players look really good, there might be a few phone calls to agents in the last 24 hours. Uh, poor old Scott Hogan. I imagine his arse will still be sore by then, so he'll be rested. Um, yeah, and w- what a lovely goodbye, maybe, Scott Hogan tapping in a goal at Stamford Bridge. The Messi. It, I, I, I thought it was a really good article, and it summed up a lot of what, you know, what I was thinking as well. But then... Driving to the game, driving to the Eastley game on Saturday, and I, I had my my two kids come with me to the games, and I, and I was talking them through why the FA Cup is magic, and they were getting excited about the game. And then after we after we beat Eastley Monday night, we we were all sat at home waiting for the draw, and it became a family occasion again. My wife and my youngest daughter, who don't go to the games, they were sat around getting excited about it as well. And when we pulled Chelsea out of the hat, it was. I don't know. You, you sort of felt that magic again. It was, like, you know, we're all sat in, we're all sat in the living room waiting for the draw, you know, and then you get a big team, and it was, and, and it was just exciting. It was really exciting. So the magic isn't dead. It's just, it's just maybe not as powerful as it used to be for me. So, lots of views. FA Cup. We're up for the cup. We're in the hat. We're both in the hat. Got the Chelsea game coming. The date's going to be announced soon. Listen, we need some players to play in that game. So now. We're going to talk about the transfer market and what's been going on in that. So it's about that time of the year. It's a silly season, as they say. It's January, and the transfer window is open. We talked about the transfer window, I think, last week, a couple of weeks before. Personally, I don't like the transfer window because it's, I think it's ridiculous. Like I said, it's like Black Friday. Everything is just, like, concentrated in one period of time, and it's a great time for Sky. They probably make a lot of money out of it from advertising or whatever they may do. You know, it's a great time for the agents. It's a great time for loads of other people to hype things up in a period of time and make you buy stuff that maybe you don't really need, you know? And why can't it be like the old days where if you wanted to play, you buy them when you want it? You know, and it's not hyped within a period of time. But listen, it is what it is, and that's kind of it is. And obviously, we're one of the biggest, you know, names in the transfer room at the moment now. Where we've got a player in the championship who possibly may move to the Premier League for a lot of money and you know as somebody said he was the back page of the Evening Standard three days in a row when can you ever say that has happened for Brentford I mean the Evening Standard we're in London they ignore us you know we get in the playoffs and they, they might write two lines about us but they've written about us put a big photograph three days in a row in the Standard so we must be doing something right the transfer window is here and like you said the first one Scott Hogan we can't go around talking about the transfer window about talking about Scott Hogan but instead of talking about is he, isn't he? I mean, West Ham, they put in a div. Was it 7 million? Was it 12 million? Was it 
No one knows. I mean, they're making it up. But at the end of the day, all we know is that West Ham have bid for Hogan three times and it hasn't been enough. But interesting as well, West Ham have made sure that their bids have been public. They made sure that they've leaked it to their press mates so everyone knows what's going on. Was that just to put us under pressure? You know, we don't know. You know, the Gold and the Sullivan man, they work in mysterious ways. But at the end of the day, Brentford are holding their ground. You know, 10 years ago, DJ Campbell, brilliant player. We sold him for 500,000 because we were skinned. The first person came in, here you go, you can have him. But now we've rejected three bids for him and the highest bid is rumoured to be 12 million. It's probably not 12 million because West Ham are probably a bit cheap. Ask Romford Market, as somebody said. But anyway, it's cool. But the question I'm going to ask about the Hogan, actually I've heard as well, it's a bit of rumour as well. Not only that, I've heard, there's a whole, whole city I've heard as well. Hull came in for him or sniffing around him in the summer. But I've heard that whole city are sniffing around the Hogan as well. I don't know, it's down there, but there's a few little rumours flipping around about that. We should see whether or not they come off. The question I'm going to ask you guys, though, Saturday, we're playing the Newcastle. Scott Hogan got a big target on him. We look at the fact that Judge, six million, he got injured, and that six million's down the drain. Hogan, Saturday, he's probably not going to go by Saturday. So do we put him in the squad? Do we play him? The Massey? Um... I don't think we do. But, you know, either way you look at it, um, fifteen million pounds to Brentford is a huge amount of money. I'm more interested in what we're going to do with that money. You know, and if he misses Saturday, it's one game. Um, if we keep him, great, brilliant, you know, fantastic. Get him straight back in um, and let him fly. But if not, you know, we're losing out on fifteen million where we can strengthen in, in a lot of areas. And I know there's this argument. Well, he's our player. We don't we like with him, but. I think you protect your assets. If, you know, if, you're, if you're at the top of the club, you've got to protect your assets. He is likely to go. For me, you know, go with what we've got because that's what we're going to be playing with in a few weeks' time when he's gone. So, not for me. I don't, I don't think we play him. Lord Lucan, I mean, the question I'm going to ask you, shot window, if Scott Hogan goes out there and plays a blinder against Newcastle, doesn't that increase his value even more and even other people? I mean, Hull might actually come out there out in the open and properly or Burnley or one of these other teams as well. What do you say? It, do, it does, yeah, but this is someone who's had two horrific injuries in the last two years and the whole better model is based on finding these lower league gems, uh, polishing them and selling them on within about two, two years um, and... You know, people go on about DJ Campbell. We still sold him, sold him for over a hundred times more than we bought him. It was a, a few months beforehand. And if we if we can keep this sort of pattern like we've done with, with, with Moses, with Andre Gray, um, probably did with Tarkowski, despite him doing the things the wrong way. Um, yeah, we, we we can continue to make five, ten times what we what we, what we buy. It, Scott Hogan will not be worth more. Any more than what it'll be worth in, the, in, in this transfer window as a Brentford player. We have the issue where we've learned the hard way last year from Judge about having the options. There was more more to it than just not selling the guy. We know that. Yeah, it wasn't our choice of not selling him, but that's that's a different issue altogether. You know. But anyway, we will move on. No, but but yeah, what we have is we have we have timing. That's it. What well, that that seems to be our skills. We know when to sell a player. And Scott Hogan's time to go is in the next three weeks, and I would not blame him. Uh, he, he, he's, he's scored the most goals in the championship all year, compared to even Dwight Gale. I'm sorry, Kev. Uh, and I would not blame him for his head being turned. Andre Gray did it the right way. He told the club his head was turned, and we got a good deal for him. Uh, 
I wouldn't play. I don't think he's going to play. And I think not so much because of the transfer rooms. I think because Dean Smith has shown over the course of the season that a winning team he generally sticks with for the following game. So I think he's going to stick with the same lineup as we had against Eastie. I think Hogan will probably, if he's fit, he returns to the bench. Obviously, a feeding frenzy for the hordes of journalists that want to make up stories about his going, he's off. Um, whether he goes in this window or not, do you know, I thought at the start of it, I thought he would stay. And I thought we would try and keep hold of him until the summer and then, get, and then sort of sell and, and make money on him then. Because I think if he does stay and he continues to score, then that 15 million, the pressure on West Ham to come back, if he, if he ends up with 30 goals at the end of the season and they've missed out on him, I mean, their fans are already going mad at their owners, Gold and Sullivan and Brady, because they find it embarrassing that they're having three bids turned down when they think, just go in and bid the 15 and get him. So if he carries on from this point onwards to the end of the season as a Brentford player, ends up with 30 goals, I think maybe that 15 million goes up to 16, 17, and maybe the, the, the pressure on West Ham again is just immense to come and get him and other clubs with it. Kev, um, you, you're experienced in this game. I mean, Brentford are still quite newbies in this old transfer market. You know, a couple of seasons ago, we did very well. We came up from the championship. We were just happy to be there. We did very well. All of a sudden, everyone's bidding for our great players. Andre Gay, boom, he's gone. Odebarju, boom, he's gone. Dallas, boom, he's gone. Brentford fans were absolutely apoplectic. You can't do that. You can't take our players. Where fans who are used to this just say, that's just what happens now. Are you a little bit kind of like confused sitting around the table where you've got three, four fans who are sitting down there thinking, you've got your best player, he's scored you know, a load of goals for you, he's obviously very good, and you're all just going, go and take him, West Ham. Go on, hurry up, just take him. Is that a little bit confusing for you? Is it? I'm a little bit longer in the tooth than you boys. You, you and me are striplings. I'm around the table with you. And I've gone through the whole lot of this. I remember when we lost Gascoigne and we lost Chrissy Waddle and we lost Peter Beardsley. We were right back in the early days. And we've been through both sides. I've been through transfer windows where we lost Andy Cole when he was the league's top scorer. Went to Manchester United. I was absolutely down. I remember I'm at McDonald's going as well. He's over the hill by Jimmy Lefters anyway. Um, I mean, the, 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 what, what I'd say is Scott Hogan, there's a parallel with maybe Ibrahim Barr for Newcastle there about, you know, we know that clubs from circle and we're, we're, the only reason that we are sustaining our FFP and our financial model is that we need to make ourselves the most attractive stepping stone for young footballers on the way up. We, don't, we can't afford the wages of players on the way down. Well, I can only hope that you get more money for Hogan than we got for Ibrahim Barr because he never played for us. We had Denver Barnes to say. Gotcha! Racism, racism. Oh no. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm no better than John Joe Shelby. Yeah, all those bars are the same. Yeah, all those bars, those bars stars. And, and, and I know you can't say this, but I can. But obviously, what you're trying to say, Lou, is that they all look the same. Yeah, yeah, bars. Yeah, yeah. We've all been in a position where we're not quite sure which bar we're up to, are we? Well, we know which bar we're in, which is the Hydrant Bar, just uh, just in monument of there. And obviously the beers are flowing because Luke can't even remember what player has signed for who at what time and in what I, I year. Think, I, I think I upgraded his CV by a couple of national <laughs> leagues there. But yeah, yeah. I, all I say is there's parallels. There's certain. I, I think there's very few clubs in the whole in the whole world. Maybe now there might be like ten clubs actually that aren't selling clubs. If the price comes in, I think it's very churlish for us to pretend 
that we are after 20 years of waiting to get to this level that suddenly that we're not able to sell players out of pride or, or morals I think a, a, lot, a lot of the balance of the power shifted to the players now anyway and the players in the ages control the market to a large extent but I mean you say we, we're on all sides of this because the last transfer window for us we went down and you, you, you dread going now because you think well the vultures are going to circle around the two or three decent players that would, you know that maybe should have kept you up but you know have got some quality but the only one that we lost that we I think we really regret was Townsend it was Andros Townsend going we still can't believe or look that we, somebody was daft enough to pay 30 million quid for Sosogo the fact we got 25 million quid for Wijnaldum we made a profit of over 30 million on the course on the last transfer window now that works in two ways. That means that everybody knows we've got an accumulation of money to spend and it jacks the price up. But also, you know, it's such big stakes getting promoted back to the Premier League again that they, they know that, people know that we've got to invest in that we've got to put the money back in. But there are still bargains to be got out there. Well, I'd say unless you're Mark Warburton, you don't gamble on spending loads with the chance of going up to the Premier League. But when you've come down and you've got the parachute money, which is heavily loaded now for your first season back, you've got to gamble on going straight back up. Because if we don't go straight back up, then we've got real, your real issues and real problems. I mean, you get it. I love glorying in other people's mistakes in the transfer window. I mean, I still love the fact that delighted to see Alan Pardew getting sacked before Christmas. But this is the man who gave away Dwight Gale and chose to sign Connor Wickham. Oh, there's a sign of somebody who knows the striker. Oh, there's another there's something else to delight in in the transfer window. I mean, but we talk about the window. We're going to ask you. I mean, we've talked about the, Scott Hogan, 15 million pounds, right? Great player, scores lots of goals, like right, you know. Um, there's all sorts of stuff going on. You know, Ross McCormack was, you know, years ago he was like 11 to 12 million, and you know he linked with us, but it's absolutely rubbish. We'll just let everybody know. Ross McCormack rumour is absolute rubbish, just like that Atcom rumour is rubbish as well. But I'm going to ask you guys, I mean, has the market just gone? Because it's gone a little bit mental at the moment now. And it's just like, it seems like anyone who's half-decent, apparently in this window, anyone who's half-decent in the Championship, starting point's £10 million. Now, man, what's that, what's that all about, like, you know? Well, ultimately, it comes down to how much money is there in football. And when we talked about the amount of money that came into the Premier League through the television deals and a massive amount of injection of, of liquidity into the game that came in now don't get me wrong I'm not I have no illusions about the trickle down effect that money doesn't get distributed fairly throughout the game but you can guarantee if there's more money in most of that money goes on players right? most of it goes on players transfer fees it goes on wages it goes on ages that's where the bulk of that money goes and that's got to have a knock on effect elsewhere down the game as well so we're not necessarily talking in the championship about the ridiculous money that's going for the, the sort of money that will be talked about for a Messi or a Ronaldo or a Neymar or somebody like that but we're still talking about an inflationary effect there's also within that there's the question people know who's got money and who needs to spend it and that's where I, I think the castle are quite vulnerable to paying inflated prices for people because people know that we need to spend that money to get back up so, you know, when we talk about Hogan for 15 million, I think it's I think it's relative these days. You know, I know it's shocking shocking amounts of money that's being talked about, but it is all relative. We're getting 15 for Hogan, but then we're going to have to spend, you know, three or four million to get Canyos maybe, or three or four million for Winnell. So, 
I think it's relative, but the reason this window for me is different to what it was when we lost Gray and you know the fury that the fans felt when we lost some of our best players is we're being linked to a lot more really, really bright talent. So if he goes, I'm pretty certain the club are going to get it right and bring in some strong players, and that excites me. So he goes, you know. Yeah, I'd like to second that. This is probably the first transfer window for maybe. Maybe since the transfer window came in, that we're not been scared about free players leaving. There's, a, there's an interesting stat because we love a stat here that apparently Brentford's entire transfer fees paid out was 14.9 million. So if we get 15 million in, we'll be historically we'll, 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 we'll be in the black. And it, it, it's really interesting the, the, the Ross McCormack when, when, when our neighbours Fulham decided to, to spend 11 million on him for someone who really couldn't get a look in in the Scotland team. Seems to have set the bar now, so every team in the Championship thinks they've got a player who commands eight figures. I'll, set that, I'll come back to those fees in a minute, Jerry. Yeah, no, just backing up what Luke said there about the, the McCormack, the 11 million, the, the Codger from Bristol City to Aston Villa is 12. And the other thing as well about these, these prices, it's kind of like, I don't know, I analyse it, if, if you live in a house that's worth 200 grand, if someone's offered you 250 grand, you ain't going to sell it. If someone offers you five times what you think it's what you're going to get rid of it, so the 15 million price tag on him frightens off pretty much 95% of Championship clubs. It means that if we do sell him, he, he doesn't stay in our division, and we can then buy in. And plus, don't forget, there's a sell-on fee to Rochdale. I think it's be three or four million, uh, depending on the price, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, we're not getting that full 15, but we need to replace him with various other players. And then, as the boys said. To hear the rumours, I know there are rumours of different players that we're being linked with, is a real good sign for us. Okay, and we're going to talk about those rumours just very briefly in a minute. We don't want to dwell on rumours because rumours are rumours, rumours schmoomers. But just quickly, I'm just talking to you about the pricing and how much you know we'd be spending money in, money out. And as Brentford, and listen, I'm just going to go through this quickly. You know, if anyone's got a notebook, get your notebook out and go there. So the outs in the last year, the outs that Brentford have had from summer 2015 to summer 2016. And these are the people just we've had paid money on. Will Grigg, £1 million. Odibarju, £3.5 million. Dallas, £1.3 million. Gray, £9 million. Um, this is, I think, over the last couple of years. Tumani, £600,000. Taki, £3 million. Mawson, let's call it £1 million, you know. That's almost like £1 and £2.5 million because we got a deal there. We're not quite sure what it is. Between £1 and £2.5 million. Bidwell, £1.5 million, let's call it. Budden, £2 million. O'Connell, let's call it £250,000. So we did about £23, £24 pounds out we brought in about 23 24 million pound i might be out by two or three million but hey we get an idea in as in the players that we paid money for barbe 500 grand kk 300 grand vln 2 million mckechran 500 grand hoffman 500 grand let's call it like vbay a million colin a million woods they say a million i thought it's less than that but it's down as a million bentley all a million by the time the older um he goes to to, to, to tribunal Egan, 500 grand uh, after we pay them the extra money because he's got, they're going to have to pay that. Henry, one and a half million. So we paid out 9.8, let's call it 10 million. So we got in 23.5 million. We paid out 10 million, right? So 24 million coming in, you know, 25 million coming in, say, going out 10 million. Okay, Benham has put in 100 grand to the club, so you can't say that. And also, you've got to say that we lost 17 million last year. Okay, that 70 million didn't take into account 13 million pounds of sales that come in after that, you know. So this year, I'd say we'd be closer to 2.5 or 5 million loss. So 
Bellingham's going to have to, have to take a call on how much he wants the club to lose this year. The reason why I bring this up is that you've got to look at how much we're going to be looking at gambling in the transfer market this year. Twenty-three million pounds in, ten, you know, twenty-four million in, ten million, you know, ten million out. We've taken a big loss. We're taking a loss in year on year. So maybe he might decide to reduce the loss down from sort of 17 to 10 or to 8 or to 5. But it still means that we've probably got a good 8 million, 5, 8 million, 10 million pounds to play with, which is more than we've ever had to play with ever in our lives. Whether or not we spend that all, we don't know. Yeah, and, and this is... This comes back to, to Benham's or, or, or you know the Brentford model of, of, of doing things. Now, we're 14th in the Championship. I think we're nine points off the playoffs, nine points off relegation. It says to me we're nowhere near bad enough to go down, but we're probably not good enough to go up either. We're going to get 15 million for Hogan. We're going to chuck four million at Rochdale as part of the deal. Why? Do, why would we go and break the bank for players that are going to be overinflated in January? if it's going to affect us FFP and our bottom line I would much rather maybe bring one up you know Stevenson someone like that that's a real promising talent and start that rebuild you know that build, building process in the summer the club's going to be in a far healthier position and, and, and doing things right and do you know what if, if West Ham want to chuck 15 million at us for Hogan and securing us for another year or two I am more than fine with that personally yeah I, I think with all due respect there's, there's a lot of football fans who's experience of finances comes from football manager and it's it's not fees that's Brentford's biggest issue it's wages we are we're we're like fabric on reopening night with Sadiq Khan at the front of the queue it's one in one out at the minute and we we've got maybe you've got some big earners in the squad that aren't playing every week we need to get them out people will know we've got money as well in our pockets but do we we're after the lad from Barnsley win all and the whole reason why he's worth a quarter of or a fifth of, of Scott Hogan is because he's in the last year of his contract. We're, we're, we've seen this now the hard way with Judge, that if we dawdle and we don't sell at the right time, it seems to be 18 months, between 18 months to a year on the new contra- on a contract, seems to be the best time to sell. Once you enter that last year, it, 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 it's, it, you're, lo- you're, losing, you're losing thousands every day. And and interesting, you talked about Winnell, you talked about, you know, the the, the players are out there. Kev, I mean, you're coming to Newcastle, Newcastle got loads of money. And like I said to you, I never thought that Newcastle was going to have to to buy players. You never thought Newcastle was going to have to buy players. But all of a sudden, Newcastle are in the market again, potentially. And, you know, you're talking about a player who, ridiculous amounts of money for the team who, I find it very difficult to even mention their name, the F word, Fulham, Kearney from Fulham. The starting point is about twenty million pounds for him. I mean, that's ridiculous money, isn't it? First of all, you've got to take everything that you hear about the transfer window with a pinch of salt, because there's a lot of agents punting people. Most of these deals that we talk we hear about, we won't actually happen. And when the dust settles, there won't actually be deals. This Fulham one's an interesting one because London Village, right? I think because it's your neighbours, I think there's maybe a little bit more talk about it. That Fulham thing has never surfaced on Tyneside. Nobody's heard of it on Tyneside. It's not on our radar at all. We've got people being mentioned in the media on Tyneside about being likely to come into Newcastle, and they're not actually looking at big money signings. There's some of Loftus-Cheek from Chelsea has been linked with Newcastle. Uh, Cleverly, England's international uh, Tom Cleverly, coming from uh, Everton, because he's, he's not been getting again. The possibility of him coming on loan, Possibly with a beautiful side in the summer. 
they're the sort of things we've been talking about. That the Fulham connection's never actually been mentioned. Torres, Torres. Torres. I sort of read something about Fernando Torres. He's been linked between him Rubbish. And yeah, again, it's not surface on Tyneside has been a realistic thing. There's lots of people putting two and two together, making connections that don't, have, that don't actually happen. Possibly with financial connections to Sky Sports News, maybe. So, and the thing is, like I said to you, we've reached the middle time because we had the mad period at the beginning. Well, the middle time, as you can see with the Hogan thing, now it's all buttoning out. It looks like it's going to go to the back end of the window when it's all going to go really quite mad. We're going to mention a few names, what we shouldn't do. Jerome Sinclair's been mentioned. Sam Winnall from Barnsley's been mentioned. Obviously, Ben Stevenson. Ben Ayew, who's at Coventry, who is a Burnley player as well. Ben At uh, Apcom, he's not happening, you know what I'm saying? They've only thrown around for Brentford, but, you know, listen, we'll see what comes out of it. This, like you know, because agents throwing them in and stuff like that. But what I were also going to throw in the Allard, who's not here, he's going to be back in a couple of weeks, probably for the Chelsea podcast. But one of his relatives, you know, which he goes to see and he talks to him about a lot. He goes to see him at play at Dagenham. He was at Hemel Hempstead a few years ago. Ollie Hawkins got transferred to Dagenham, started scoring goals, and now he's been very heavily linked with um, Ipswich Town and also Wolves, stuff like that. So fair play to the Allards, who told us about him from time. He said he wasn't quite right for Brentford because he's a real big sort of kind of like header of the ball. He's like a right Blackburn, Ipswich type player. Probably not quite right for us, but it's interesting. One of the Brentford crew has got a player, part of their family, you know, Liverpool, totally associated with them. Jerry, just one last thought here. Yeah, just one point about the Hogan thing. If Hogan does go, it's just... It puts it down. The club, I think the club needs to bring somebody in. You know, they've obviously got to replace him, but two or three signings. Because I think what will happen is last year you lose a couple of players, then there's an absolute meltdown on social media that you know the way the club's being run and everything else. So if it does go, I know we might have to pay slightly over the odds, but if it's two or three players to come in to replace that one player, I think just to just to keep the feel good factor around the club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I echo that. The, the week the club are trying to sell the second, you know, the second half of the season tickets. Uh, we we need. Are we going to see something different this year to compared to last year? Fair play to the club. They were transparent. They said, look, we're going to rebuild now. We're going to give up. We've now got we got a plum cup win. I'm not sure if we're going to make it to the sixth round or for fifth round. Sorry, but yeah, that. I, so I think the club now need to sort of show their intent via the transfer window. Talk about big transfer speculation, Newcastle Brentford. Is Alan Judge still alive? Hey, Alan Judge is still alive and he's and still there. And, it, and he's working and he's up there and there's photographs of him actually running around cones and stuff like that. So we love Alan Judge. He's running out of his contract at six months time. However, if you would like to give us about seven million pounds for him, we might consider it. I was only asking. <laughs> Liberal Nick. He might be out in the country, but he's still ranting. Liberal Nick is not happy. The game keeps on changing. They keep changing all sorts of stuff. The cups, the competitions, and also the World Cup. Liberal Nick is going to give us his Liberal Nick rant. It's so hard for the people who run football to understand. Why do they have to keep messing around with things? First of all, the FA pimped out the world's oldest cup competition to a beer company, and an American one at that, who also tried to change the competition's name. We did away with the semi-finals being played around the country so that they take place at Wembley. Hey, that's really exciting. Not. Football League messed around with the League Cup, doing away with two-legged ties, replays, going straight to penalties, rebranding the competition as the EFL Cup. What's that about? Probably because sponsors were frightened off by the incompetence of the administrators. And for fans of lower league clubs who have the possibility each year of a cup final at Wembley, 
some bright spark thought, let's invite Premier League under-21 teams into the Checker Trade Trophy. Uh, mind you, given the success of the competition this season, my money's on there being a new sponsor and format next year. But this week, FIFA outdid them all by deciding to hold and ruin the World Cup. 48 teams, 80 games, it's going to be a bore fest. Even those of us who love tournament football will switch off, and that will please the sponsors. Not. I mind you, England will still go out as soon as the knockout stages are reached. So please, football administrators, just stop messing around with formats, stop messing around with names. The only good change in the last 30, 40 years in football has been the introduction of the playoffs in the Football League. And who came up with that idea? A past chairman of Brentford, Martin Lang. So Saturday, Newcastle come to Griffin Park for the first time since, I think it's 1992. And I remember standing outside Griffin Park, 1992, outside the, the, the Braemar Road, waiting, waiting for my mates to turn up. And, uh, and all of a sudden, somebody just came up to me and goes, oh, no, mate, you got a ticket for the game. I went, right, I'll give you 50 quid. And it was the first time I've ever seen Ticket Tout at Brentford, and probably the last time as well. That was Newcastle then. The Newcastle fans were absolutely everywhere. So 30-odd years later, we're playing Newcastle again. We're delighted to have them down. We went up there. We had a brilliant time. We had an absolutely fantastic time. And if they come down early and they do the research, if you do besotted.co.uk, we'll have a proper pub crawl on there. There's millions of pubs for you to go to. Some down the river, some by Kew Bridge, some in the middle of Brentford, some by the motorway. All sorts of pubs there. A pub crawl that will take you from the tube station all the way down. Like, it sounds bad, but they're brilliant. Brilliant. Some in the middle of the houses. Research it. Get down there early. You'll have a proper, proper laugh. We might be a ramshackle ground. However, every fan that I know that comes down go, we love coming to Brentford. It's brilliant. Loads of places to go to. You're really friendly. Loads, you know, all over the place. So just come down and have a laugh. But anyway, but terraces as well as you go into the ground. It's all brilliant. So if you've got 1,600 you've got tickets, thumbs up to you. Come down, have a laugh. We'll have a drink of you. But listen, this match, for some Newcastle fans that will be listening, they'll be crying. Because the match switched from a Saturday as we said, to a Monday because of the cup game. Fair enough, Sky put it on the... They said cup game. But also they said, by the way, if one of you draw, we'll have to switch it back to the Saturday because we're going to have to put your replay on the Tuesday. Or we're not going to have to. The replay will be on the Tuesday. Newcastle weren't able to beat Birmingham City like we did a couple of weeks earlier, or a week earlier. What does that say about this match? We'll talk about that later. So, <laughs> the match was switched from the Monday back to the Saturday Seven days notice. So the fans who had bought tickets, match game tickets, hotels, gone. New fans had to buy new tickets, 130, 140 quid for, 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 for train tickets. Well out of order. Now what I'm going to say to you, Kev, I mean, the thing that really, really amazes me, I know that the Newcastle Trust said this, I'm glad you feel our pain, but you've been in the Premier League so long. What it seems to me is that teams like you, Newcastle, maybe Villa and all that lot, seem to be almost like anaesthetised. For us, if this was us, and we'd bought train tickets and they switched it, we'd be absolutely rabid. But you seem to, you're like, oh yeah, okay, it's a bit out of order, but just whatever. And you moved on. Because you seem to be so used to it from the Premier League. I mean, to me, that's a really bad sign. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head that we've been softened up by so many years of these fixtures. Having said that, I think this one is particularly outrageous. Just to deal with one little thing as an aside, apologies for not having, on our reserves, not beating in Birmingham at the weekend. We had beat them 4-0 in the league previously. It's not we can't beat Birmingham, and we'll do it in the replay. But 
you're absolutely right. Uh, moving a match to a Monday night anyway for a Newcastle to come to London completely changes the game. A London game on a weekend is something for me, is something really to look forward to. Stick it on a Monday night, it's a pain in the arse. It's two days off work. It's you know that much more expensive. To, you know, even the trains and all that sort of stuff. It's that's a nightmare. And to do that at five or six weeks' notice is what the telling requires. That's bad enough. But if you imagine if they'd moved it the other way around at a week's notice, there'd be a civil there'd be a civil war on. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask the question, okay? Because the fact is that, as you know, you're very versed in this because we haven't mentioned this before, but also you're very involved in the FSF because you well, you run the FSF, the Football Supporters Federation as well. So you know the rules and the ins and outs and stuff. Listen, if the, both clubs decided they weren't happy with that date, that the, the, the Sky move date, it wouldn't have happened, wouldn't it? So if the clubs turned around and said, we think our fans or the Newcastle fans will be majorly disrupted because we don't know about that, we both don't agree with that, that game wouldn't happen. So to me, I think, aren't the clubs to blame to a certain extent? Absolutely, absolutely they are. I mean, there's lots of people to blame for this. There's the people who signed the contracts in the first place. Who are stoned in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Tower of London earlier with the, with, the, with the tomatoes and stuff? Yeah, your mate Sean, he signed the deals in the first place. But it, it, it's also at the high level as well, the Premier League level as well. They signed the contract. Now, they get huge money in from the broadcasters. And the broadcasters demand various different rights from, the, from that point of view. And th- there's a trade-off there. And people in power in football have made the decision the money's worth having, we'll compromise, we'll, we'll, we'll make these sacrifices. They don't ask us whether we want to make them. They'd make those decisions over our heads. That, that, that's the first point. But you're absolutely right. The clubs have then got to agree that they want to move their fixture for television. And they get big money for it. And that's what it's all about. It's all about the money. And the, the input of, the, of, of ordinary fans like us is of secondary importance to them. They know in, in this particular case, we would have sold out, Newcastle would have sold out 1,600 tickets for the Monday night, for the Saturday, for a Tuesday dinner time, for a Thursday On Mars. Night, whatever it was it was, we would have said, and they know that, they know that, they take that for granted. But they don't ask us, they don't care, we're of secondary importance, if that, when it comes to these things, it's money that decides these things. Yeah, what really is really irked me about about this one is, you know, Newcastle v Brentford on a on a Monday night isn't going to pull in 10 million viewers. Let's face it, Newcastle. You know, there's going to be lots of Newcastle fans out there that want to watch the game, but it's not it's not massive, is it? It's not absolutely huge. They didn't need to choose that game and screw the fan Newcastle fans over the way they did. They could have quite easily picked a different fixture that would have had far less impact, but they simply didn't care and that's what it comes down to it's I, I think it's a case of a tail wagging the dog with the, the FA Cup is a poor relation to the Premier League and obviously the championship fills the gap when the Premier League or Europa League isn't isn't playing we're we're, we're brought up to perform and like I said I, I don't know what, what do we get like each club gets a couple of million quid a year like to make our deal with the devil in August and then we just have to, we all have to hope that we get half a dozen games. If, you, if, you, if you're top of the league, then you get a dozen games. If you're bottom, if you're Rotherham, then you might get three games. And we're now stuck in the middle. No, yeah, like, like, like you said, like you said, Cole, like, no, no one cares. No one cares about, hopefully Brentford fans would actually turn out and go to a game. Uh, do you know what? 
based on Middlesbrough the other the other year, well, you know, people from the northeast tend to come out in their numbers regardless of cost, and it, it's, it's 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 a little bit heartbreaking the fact that they've been abused so badly by the Premier League that it seems relative. And I'm going to have to bring this up as well because like, like there's two seasons ago as well where we felt you know and particularly me because I had a relationship with the Borough fans and Borough were playing us and all of a sudden they switched their name from a 3 o'clock game to a, a 12.30 game I think it was on Sky so what's happened a lot of the Borough fans had already bought their train tickets and they were screwed because they were going to get in after kick-off uh, myself you know again besotted we did as well talk to the FSF we actually talked to East Coast Trains. Remember that? Before uh, Virgin East Coast, it was East Coast Trains. We talked to them. They said, listen, could you sort something out for these guys? And to be fair to East Coast Trains, they said, right, what we're going to do is going to organise the Newcastle fans who have tickets for later trains to bring them forward to earlier trains. And this type of activity, all of a sudden the Newcastle, the Borough fans, and we, that's why we got a great relationship with them because they said, I can't believe you've just gone out and tried to sort us out. So basically, this situation had happened where East Coast Trains bought their tickets and validated them for earlier trains, so six, seven o'clock in the morning, they can get there for kickoff, and it kind of worked. But to me, it shouldn't be the job of us or the FSF. At the end of the day, it should be the jobs of maybe Sky and uh, and the authorities and the football clubs to actually sort this out. They should say, okay, something. Well, we'll move your game, but if we do, if you bought train tickets and stuff, we'll sort it out so that you haven't got a problem with them. But the fact is that what they do, they don't. They just say, oh, that's tough, tough, that's tough shit. And I think that's out of order, Jerry. Yeah, I think what you're saying it just needs to be a real overhaul of the way sort of these TV companies look at everything just you know like if you're going to play a game on a Monday night then it has to be like some sort of lo- like local derby or nothing more than 30 mile apart clubs you know us as far as Reading and nowhere beyond Newcastle to us on a Monday is just beyond ridiculous it really is and any new deal I don't know if they strike up a new deal there's got to be some sort of compensation package like you say whether the Football League or the Premier League or anybody else can compensate and maybe get a train on. For if Newcastle are coming to London on a Monday, all right, we'll charter a train. It's going to cost you 40 quid and that's what it, you know, because they'll know they'll fill it. So, but they won't do that, do they? As Kevin said, there's no thought goes into what a football fan goes through. It's a really weird sort of dichotomy. It's, we, we build up all this romance of the cup or the romance of, of full stadiums, and we make it really, or we allow people to make it as difficult as possible for us to fill stadiums. And like, like the Christmas fixtures in the FA Cup have just shown that that it's worth more to clubs to make money on the TV deal and to have an empty stadium. You'd rather do that if you were Hull, if you were Norwich, you you you, you make your pack with the devil, and that's it. So we yeah, we're the poor relation. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you know how much money would any club make on a TV game? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I should know, but I'm still back in Premier League land when they get an 800 grand a game and all that sort of this low and this sort of level. One little caveat, I've got to say, for this game on Saturday, most of the Newcastle or a large proportion of the Newcastle fans won't travel from Newcastle. We have a completely different supporter base, and we're the same with Middlesbrough, to be honest. There are so many people from the northeast who've had to move south for jobs, for money, for whatever work, or whatever else. I, I go to every Newcastle game from the northeast because I'm stupid. But I, I've got a different group of mates that I go to matches with in London compared to what I go to matches with at home. My mates at home go to all the home games, I've got the northern away games, but I've got mates in London who live in London, Geordie's in exile, who go to all the, uh, the London away games. So, the other side of that is, let's not pretend that home fans aren't affected by these switches as well. There's, I mean, 
I don't know what it's like about Brentford, Newcastle, we've got 5,000 season ticket holders who live south of Birmingham. Right? Because, precisely because of that economic diaspora that uh, people have moved move abroad. But there are home fans who make their arrangements around home games on a Saturday or else, who can't make, because of work or whatever else, can't make a Monday night or not. So it's not like a straightforward, it's, just, it's bad for away fans and it's okay for home fans. It messes up everybody. And, and Kev, I know you've been in the, this league for a season now, you've seen every team play. I'm just wondering, who are the, the, the best teams that you've seen play out there? The best teams? Although we beat them, uh, Brighton looked good, to be fair. First game of the season, Huddersfield looked great. Now, they, they've, they fluctuated a bit. So there's, there's some decent teams about, you know. It's, um, I wasn't that impressed with Reading. Uh, yeah, Brighton are definitely going to be up there at the end of the season. Leeds, we rolled over. I wasn't that impressed with them. Chevy Wednesday looked okay, but fairly robust, but... Nobody particularly worried me, to be honest. So, again, it's interesting as well, but who are the worst teams to play that? Because everyone puts the, you know, the Burtons, the Rotherhams, they were written off from day one. But who are the worst teams that you've seen out there? Well, we, we've still got to play Rotherham at home, and we, we might put 12 past them, you never know. But I've got to say, when we played them away, we beat them 1-0, but they weren't the worst team by the distance that we've played. They were decent, they were all right, they were quite robust. Um, I know this sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but probably the worst thing I see is Blackburn. Now they beat us twice, they've taken six points off us, beat us 1-0 at home and away. But they weren't great, they weren't very good. I wasn't impressed with them at all. They looked really poor. The other one, just a pan to your audience, QPR. We demolished QPR, and that was a great night out. Um, we're very happy with that. <laughs> I thought you might be, yeah. So listen, I mean, but just bringing it back to the game and the positivity of the game that we've got on Saturday, because it should be a great game. At the end of the day, and we mentioned before, Jojo Selvi is out. I mean, he's not the only player for Newcastle, but it's actually evened things out a little bit for us. OK, Scott Hogan will probably, but we're not sure, be out on Saturday. But we showed, it, you know, we showed inklings that on Saturday we actually upped our game because Vibe upped his game. You know, uh, and, and Sawyer's moved up into a position where they were playing off each other and it was absolutely beautiful. So we can actually see a game quite similar, we say, to when Hogan, not Hogan, but when Judge was playing, everything went through Judge, but Judge came out the side, everyone had to raise their game. On Saturday, Hogan came out the side, everyone had to raise their game. Now, if that's the same scenario, it'll be different for Newcastle, who seemed to know what to do against Scott Hogan uh, when we went up to, 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 to Tyneside. You know, we spent most of the time looking up, the players were probably looking up the stands and, and admiring the 50,000 players while Newcastle banging in a couple of goals. But I think it's going to be a little bit different at Griffin Park. I'm just wondering, what are you expecting for the game on Saturday, Luke? Uh, well, it's the game of the £15 million anus, isn't it, with Scott Hogan not turning up. I, I'd like us to give them a game. Um, I think both teams got their eye on, on a game in 72 hours later. Um, the club are hyping up. We're playing one of the big teams, so let's let's be a tin pot team that surprises one of the big teams, and and not injure Scott Hogan. The Messi. I think it's going to be a completely different game to what it was. Um, it, uh, you know, in the away fixture, no Shelby. It's a tighter pitch. You know, Gale's not going to get the quite the kind of space we hope that he did uh, that he did up there. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I fancy us to nick it. I really do. 
listen, I mean, we, we keep saying this, and a lot of people are saying, Brentford, we haven't got the players that we had a couple of years ago, and we can't play decent football. We're a mid-table side. But my argument is that, actually, we have got good players, but sometimes they're not played the, the right way. You know, they don't do the right things. Maybe they're not coached in the right way. They're not given the right type of tactics. But we've shown a couple of times we actually can play really good football with the players we've got. Now, Jerry, do you think this is good enough to give Newcastle a good game on Saturday? Yeah, I do. I mean, I totally agree. I think we've had players this season that have underperformed. Um, and as you said, I made a point earlier about uh, Sawyers against Eastley. I think if, it, if we go out and play in that fashion and go after Newcastle, go out and try and win the game from the first minute rather than sitting back and see what they're going to come at us with, we'll stand a good chance of getting a result. But we need everyone to perform, you know, to, to get a result. Sawyer has to play high up the pitch. He has to link well with McEachern. McEachern has to be on the game. But if we if we do what we've done in previous games, which is to sit and wait and hope to sit on a counter before we know we're a goal down after five minutes, then we're chasing it, and then the whole game plan's gone out the window. So what we want to see and what we expect could be two different things. What I want to see is us going right after it and going at them. And what I expect, to be honest, I think is for. 10, 15 minutes just for us to sit back the way that we've done and I, I just don't think that would be the way but hopefully we'll go after the game. Kev, are you sitting here in trepidation? Listen, we went up to Newcastle and we were quite confident but at the other hand, if you look back at it, we were just so happy to be there. We were just happy to be in your pubs. We were having to have a drink with you and there were just three and a half thousand of us. We were just like, well, hey, we're in Newcastle. However, you're on our manor now. Right, it's on our ground. It could be quite scary if we actually up the tempo, up the vibes inside there as well. Do you think, and especially without the Shelby man, your team's dipped a little bit, that you may struggle against the mighty, mighty bees on Saturday? Well, I take nothing for granted, but uh, the last away game I was at in the league was Blackburn. And I echo what I've just heard. I really hope you come at us and have a go. Because what Blackburn did was to sat back, put everybody behind the ball and asked us to break them down. You give us an open game, we'll beat you. There's no question about it, we'll beat you in an open game. Uh, I'd probably take a draw now if you push me, because you, you bought me three pints. Uh, <laughs> caught you more than three pints. <laughs> you, you bought me three pints. The, uh, I, I, actually think we'll, I, think, I actually think we'll sneak it, probably 1-0. But I think it'll, I, I'm, I'm ready for a tight game. I don't think you will set up to have a go at us because I think that leaves you vulnerable. And I think we're, we're, more, we're better placed to deal with that than we are everybody put me. If you put everybody behind the ball, we will struggle to break you down. And I, I, mean, I think that's where the, the, the difficulty is. The trouble is with that. Is that sort? We could do that, but what we've done over the course of the season, what I've seen, is all, we're always vulnerable to an individual mistake. You know, defenders not getting clear in the headers, not getting clearances out, midfielders sloppy passes, and then you, and then you go a goal down. So you, you set up to, you know, stifle Newcastle. You go a goal down, you game. Plan we goal. sort of tried that against Leeds, and you know, it was all right. We weren't adventurous against them, and then they scored a goal in the 89th minute, and it was all over. So it wasn't like quite like like you know what Eastleigh did in the second half where they had about 47 people in the area, like, you know, for the whole of the second half. But still, it's that kind of thing, and not quite sure if it's our game. But listen, I'm going to go around the table here and try and get some score predictions. The Massey. 2-1 Bs, VB to get on the score sheet. The Luke Hand. 
Three to Newcastle, unfortunately. Go down fighting. The cabbie. I'm going to go two-one Brentford as well. Feel quite confident with this. I know we've Kev, We've already got your one, but say again. Well, I'd take one nil. I'd even take a draw. Now. I actually think it'd probably be two-one. But the other word I'll add in here is every time in my experience when it's built up around one player, the one thing you can be sure of is Scott Ogan will do his hamstring in the warm-up. Well, he'd probably do it in the warm-up. He'd probably do it in the warm-up in his living room because he's probably not going to be there at all. But yeah, well, I'm going to give it one, two-one to Brentford as well because I'm, I'm giving it the vibes and we're 100% record this season as well. And uh, I'm going to be going to go in there. But listen, it's been absolutely wicked with the Hydrant Pub just by Monument Station. I walked out of Monument Station. So where's the Hydrant? Turn around, boom! It's right there. Wicked little pub, craft ales and everything like that. Coming in, they've taken absolutely brilliant 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 care of us we're in all sorts of ales like i said the bob marley not bob marley island records but a, you know a couple of prizes there's been a couple of all sorts of stuff that's going on but the island records one that's got me because island records is a record label that i know a lot of people that work for bob marley tricky all sorts of people play for there and i think the fact that they've got into ales has just thrown me completely so if you don't do anything else just come inside here and have a, a, an island records ale but listen I can see bottles of Newcastle Brown in the fridge. <laughs> actually, they don't normally stock that, but we actually got them to just get that in, especially for you, Kev. You know what I'm saying? But listen, this is the besotted. Well, yeah, that's right. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. Thanks very much for listening for us. Thanks very much for listening to the last week's podcast as well, which is one of our most popular podcasts. If you haven't checked it out, just check it out. The Martin Island podcast is absolutely brilliant. There'll be a post-match podcast after the Newcastle game about six six thirty, where we talk to all the fans. Check that out on the Besotted channel, Besotted.co.uk or AudioBoom.com. Besotted. But listen, we're playing Newcastle on Saturday. We're 100% record this season. So at the end of the day, this year, sorry, this year, not this season, this year. 100% record this year, I've been corrected. So at the end of the day, we're going to this match with much cheer, much confidence. But at the end of the day, we need to do We're going to go inside there. That's right, and do the business. But as we say, we come inside here, and all our fans will say, inside the quadrant, the hydrant in Monument, as we say. Come on, you lads! The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.